New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. We are worn down, worn out, burned out, and exhausted. COVID crisis, political crisis, climate crisis. We are divided and socially distant. It's hard to find wisdom in a divided world, so we have to go inside to find wisdom. We have to look for underlying unities that require more than anything imagination. The kind of imagination that suggests that we are all connected somehow, all connected to the soul of the world. These are the words of our guest today, storyteller and scholar of mythology, Michael Mead. And today we'll be speaking about a myth for these days when we're feeling that we're going through a dangerous and narrow passage in our collective history. Michael Mead is a renowned storyteller, author, scholar of mythology, and student of ritual in traditional cultures. He has scoured the world to bring us meaningful folk tales that tap into ancestral sources of wisdom and acts as a guide to connect them to the stories we are living today. Mead is the founder of Mosaic Multicultural Foundation. He also distributes a regular podcast, and his many books include Fate and Destiny, Awakening the Soul, and The Water of Life, Initiation and the Tempering of the Soul. Join us for the next hour as we explore going through a dangerous and narrow passage in critical times with our guest, Michael Mead. I'm speaking with Michael at his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Michael, welcome. Good to be back with you, Justine. Oh, thank you. It's great to be uh, today. It's really great to be with you. I just want to tell our listeners that we're recording this um, the week of the 2020 election. And even as we're recording it, the final outcome of the election has not been officially reported. So we're still sitting patiently uh, waiting to find out exactly how it's going to come out. But however it's going to come out, um, there are at least 50% of this 
country we're living in um, feels one way and the other 50% feel another way. And so, as I said in the introduction, we're divided. So, Michael, I'm turning to you. I thought, who could best help us in this moment to bring us to mythic imagination and why this is important. So, so help us out, please, Michael. What, what can you <laughs> tell us that will be of help right now? So um, one way to look at it, and you mentioned all the crises, this cascade of crises. And in a way, and you mentioned how divided the country is, and you could say that we're at the end of an era and it's not evident to everyone now, but we're at the beginning of the next era. And that gives you the basic division, end beginning. And, and in between is called the betwixt and between, or it's called the threshold area, or it's called the liminal space where things are uncertain and we're losing things and we haven't gained the things to replace them yet. And that's the nature of the times in mythological terms. To me, that's helpful that all these crises are part of being in the betwixt and between, and that um, chaos always precedes creation. And so it's really appropriate that we're still in the betwixt and between of the election. It's literally votes are being counted while we're speaking. And I know that you know this, but some people might not know that no matter the outcome, we're still in the betwixt and the between. And the red and blue states, which really are two opposites in the sense that those two colors can be opposites, um, that represents a political divide, but the divide is much bigger. Um, I just read a report in a nature journal that the waters in the oceans of the world are separating. Because of the heat in the atmosphere, the upper levels of water are getting so warm that they're separating from the colder levels below. In other words, in normal times, the waters mix, and the churning of the waters brings nutrients from the bottom of the ocean to the marine life at the top of the ocean, and then carbon is drawn down and goes back down to the bottom where it stays for a long time. The waters in the ocean are now separating. So when you hear that, you realize, oh, it's not just a political divide. It's not just a disagreement over how to handle the pandemic. We're in the split time. We're in the tension of the opposites, uh, to look at it in mythical terms, but even also in alchemical terms. And so it's a very hard time to be alive because we can feel the tension. Most people feel it as anxiety, collective anxiety. You know, it's not about, you know, you know if you have a test tomorrow in school and you're anxious, that's natural and normal. If you're feeling anxious and you don't know why, that's collective anxiety. And that's what we have now. And these crises are like a weight coming down on everyone. And, and you mentioned at the beginning the old idea that the individual soul is connected to the soul of the world. So we actually feel what's going on in our soul, and we feel it as weight. Um, so to me, it's helpful to know that in mythological terms, that's the space when many things are ending, and the beginning is stirring, but we can't see it yet. And so that ma- makes us feel not just uncertain, but many people are terrified. 
Uh, and to be alive at a time when it's happening in nature, at the same time it's happening in culture, it's happening in politics, at the same time it's happening in, in uh, medicine, public health, it's really a lot of stress and it's a lot of uh, concern. But mythologically, renewal comes after the chaos. There is um, um, a myth that you've recently brought up called um, Jason and the Argonauts. And I'm wondering, is this something that can apply to us right now? Is there wisdom in that myth? Well, yeah. So I think of that because of uh, the Simplegades, they call the huge rocks in the sea. And the rocks are clashing rocks. That's Simplegades is Greek for clashing rocks. And so Jason uh, and the Argonauts, it's like uh, a dream team of seekers. And what happens is uh, Jason figures out that what's missing in the culture at that time, which you could say is the same thing that's missing in the culture at this time, which is to say um, nobility, uh, empathy, and the ideals of real liberty and freedom and real inclusion, that's missing at that time. In other words, this has happened before. And the way that you bring it back is you have to go find the golden fleece. The golden fleece is the symbolic thing that represents all those things that are missing. So Jason decides to go looking for the golden fleece and he gathers together uh, a group to go with him, a crew, and they set off on the, the Argo. So they become the Argonauts. Um, so the big issue is they're going to have to go through the Clashing Rocks. We're in the Clashing Rocks right now. The Clashing Rocks are the political mayhem. The uh, increasing disparity between the wealthy and the poor creates a crashing inside people. And so they're going to come to that point. Before they arrive there, they go, happen to help out the king in some kingdom who is a seer who is being punished for mishandling his powers of vision. And so they help him out. So then he gives them some help and says, when you come to the clashing rocks, you cannot think your way through. The clashing is uh, erratic and you can't time it out. You can't reason your way through. So he gives them a bird, a little dove. And, and so the, the advice is when you come to the rocks, send the dove before you between the rocks. If the dove gets through and only its tail feathers are clipped, you go right after the dove. If the dove doesn't make it through, you back off. So they go and that's what happens. They send the dove, the rocks clash, they clip the tail of the dove, and then they know now everybody rose together. It doesn't matter what your theory is. It doesn't matter how afraid you are. Everybody rose together and they push their ship through between the rocks. And then they go on and get the, uh, the golden fleece. So the ways that I think this applies to where we are, is we're going to go through this tension and clashing, tension and clashing of the rocks in the world. We are continually between a rock and a hard place. I think that phrase comes from this story. <laughs> and so uh, what we're going to have to understand is 
rationality and reason isn't going to solve the complexity of what's going on. We're caught in a mystery of change, not in just a history of results. And so you mentioned earlier imagination, this idea of having a bird and be connecting to the bird of spirit and be timing it out, not based on on clockwork, but based on being in touch with the times in the moment, being alive in the moment, uh, that's the way to go, according to the story. And then one other thing is something has to be sacrificed. In this case, it's just some feathers on the bird. And that appears in many stories when the hero or the heroine uh, is getting close to the, usually it's the treasure hard to attain or whatever it's called, there'll be a little sacrifice of some kind. And I want to say something about that because you mentioned the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And what's happened there is because, one way to say it is, because people, many people resisted and many people were told to resist making sacrifices, a whole bunch of people have been sacrificed. So when people are unwilling to make the little sacrifices that create the openings, um, then what happens is there is big unconscious sacrifices. And at least from my perspective, many people have died in the midst of the pandemic because people were misled or refused for some reason to realize we all are in the same ship and we all have to pull together when the rocks pull apart. I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with researcher of mythology, Michael Mead, and author of many, many books. Um, and if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, which also has his podcast on there. Um, it's mosaicvoices.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with mythologist Michael Mead, and we're talking about going through the narrows, going through the hard, the rock and the hard place. And Michael, you you mentioned sacrifice. And I've been thinking about this because, like, I, I know that there are many of us, let's say there are 70 million people who voted one way and another approximately, these are approximate numbers, but close to them, another 70 million people voted a different way. 
right now, in this time, at 2020 election, presidential election. And um, up until uh, this week, I thought, oh, if my side just wins, everything's going to be okay. But as it, as it kind of drew out and drew out, I realized, no, that's not what's going on. And um, I realized that I have to come to terms in some way with my fellow citizens who are um, being pretty depressed right now about the outcome of this election or whatever it is. It, it could have been me. It could have been uh, or not me. Uh, but it, I, I remember in the uh, 2016 election how I felt at that election. And I feel that there are half the population in the country are feeling as I did in 2016. And this is no small thing. And I couldn't ignore it, Michael. I couldn't, um, I had to, that's why I'm, ha I'm having this conversation with you because I want to know how do we not sacrifice all the citizens that are, are feeling disenfranchised right now it's no small thing. So where where can we proceed? What advice do you have? What wisdom do you have? Well, I'm with you in, in feeling how dangerous it is and how the idea that one side wins and one side loses is not really a worthy way to deal when the world has become so critical and life and death are in the balance all the time, that kind of idea is not workable. It's not valuable. But it's also not a matter that you can simply say, well, just because I don't want it to be painful, everything is okay. It's just, so that's the tension of opposites. And so one thing I think that really has to be sacrificed is the willingness to accept big lies. I mean, in other words, um, there has to be some sense of felt truth or people can't come together. You know, I'm with you. I, I feel bad for those who uh, lose, but it's tempered with the idea that um, if people are unwilling to face up to the tension that is actually happening in nature and culture, they're creating a false sense of reality, which is really the thing doing the damage. So I think one of the problems is how to get the collective, which is now mostly divided into halves, to find things that can be agreed upon. Uh, for instance, you would think uh, a global pandemic would bring people to the same place. And everybody would say, God, we're all in danger. It doesn't matter what your political convictions are. The virus doesn't care. Well, the division as it exists overpowered that. You would think climate crisis, the biggest thing that threatens all beings on the planet. No. So there's something going on where people are want to grab a hold of a position that is usually simplistic and hold on to it against all other things, even if it's 
patently unreal. So, so this is part of the problem. Uh, the world has become so complicated. The, the issues that we all face, we keep talking about global issues, they're enormous and they seem intractable and then they're complicated. So then I think people get overwhelmed by the complication and they want a simple answer. And the next thing they're not just voting for, they're insisting upon leaders who say, here's the answer and actually give the message that you don't have to change. We're in a world that is transforming. Everyone has to change. Transformation is what's going on. But I think the problem is how can you join with people who won't acknowledge that the world is transforming? So one of the ideas that I've been working on uh, is that we're in a collective rite of passage. It's just that not everybody knows it. So I don't know if this is helpful for everyone, but it's helpful for me. A rite of passage has three main steps. One in which you depart from what existed. The world as you know it is no longer there. You have left it entirely and you will not be going back. That's the first step. And I think that's already happened. The idea of making America great again is a patently false idea. Two reasons. It wasn't that great to begin with, but also you can't make it be what it was. And you especially can't be what it never was. But anyway, so it's the, we have to join the world in the, its own remaking of itself. So then the middle part of the passage is called the ordeal. And that's where the sacrifice occurs. And that's where the awakening is supposed to occur. So in the middle, which is also called the liminal space. The limit is the bottom of a threshold. It's like we're standing on a threshold and behind us, we've left the old world, the world the way we thought it was or wanted it to be. And we're looking forward, but we don't see the new world yet. We're on the threshold and two things happen there or can happen. One is an awakening. The, the awakening of a vision. And the other one is what they used to call communitas. And I think that's what you're talking about. The moment of communitas when everyone says, the word community comes from communitas. Communitas means like deep community. The sense that, yes, we are all in this together. We had the chance months back when they realized this is a global pandemic, if leadership had just said, okay, everybody, we disagree on this and that, but we're all in this together, and our job now is to protect each other, it might have worked. I don't know. It might have worked better. It certainly would have worked better than what we did. So that's going to come around again, the opportunity for communitas. I don't know if current-day politicians can grasp what's really trying to go on. But for those of us that want everybody to make it through, uh, the idea of communitas to me is helpful. So there's an awakening that is needed to say, wow, the world is no longer the world it was. I'm standing in uncharted territory and I'm looking for orientation, acknowledging the situation and then realizing, which seems evident to some people, not so to others, we are all in this together. This is not a matter uh, of uh, some, you know, select people are going to make it through. It's really affecting everyone. And so I think what you're referring to, at least for me, it becomes communitas. 
Now, you can't argue a person into joining you or feeling that they're part of the world. There's the problem. So how we do that, I don't know. My fallback position is tell stories and hope people get it, sing songs, read poetry, play music, do all the things that are not strictly rational, but can pull people, you know, music will tame the ferocious beast. Maybe it'll tame certain political groups. I don't know. But I mean, it's the gesture and the willingness to invite and include everybody. I think that matters, not strictly the accomplishment of it. If a person doesn't want to be in a rite of passage, you can't drag them into it. That's actually called abuse. So we're stuck. Imagination to me is the key. People cannot currently imagine that we can completely disagree and be in the same ship together. People actually think we're in different stories. And so I keep trying to tell stories that remind everybody we're all in the same story. Um, That's what mythology would do. One of the problems with the modern world is we don't have shared myths. So people fall into tribal beliefs. And um, I don't know that you can end that simply. I don't know that we can, you know, you can't even save a drowning person who doesn't want to be saved. So I think we have to be careful of trying to do that. But at the same time, I think our responsibility as individuals is to be as creative, compassionate, empathic as possible and hope that it affects others. I really like what you're saying about um, we're all in this boat together. If there are winners, it doesn't mean that we discard those who don't consider themselves the winner. If the sacrifice is going to be uh, how do we incorporate the whole of us, not just just a segment of us, but the whole of us. And how do we have those conversations? How do we sing together? Um, I, I know that you've written about wisdom, and there are two, two aspects to wisdom, which I'd, I'd love for you to talk about, the two aspects of wisdom. So the, the word has two roots, and one is guidance or counsel. So you think of getting wise counsel. But the other root of wisdom is, it. the translation is lyric. In other words, wisdom is more connected to poetry than it is to abstract thought. And so um, this goes along with the idea that everyone has a core imagination in their soul. That core imagination is lyrical as opposed to methodical. It, it has rhythm. And it has, it has a song. Everyone actually has a song, in a sense, in their heart. And so wisdom would be connected to one's own inner lyric. In other words, if this is all parsed out as political, philosophical, belief system stuff, and that's all we have, the ship's going down, or it's going to divide in half again and sink. <laughs> so we have to keep our buoyancy by being connected to the lyric of our soul. And one way to translate lyric would be to, say, creative practice. 
to me, the weight of things creates this collective anxiety, collective fear, and collective depression. And that's not what usually people have to deal with. It's bigger weight than usual. So we can't just keep a stiff upper lip kind of thing. We need to be able to touch to the deep lyric of our soul once in a while, and a practice is necessary for that. I'm here with Michael Mead. He is a student of ritual in traditional cultures and the author of many books, and he is a storyteller and scholar of mythology, and his um, website is mosaicvoices.org, or you can get there through newdimensions.org. And I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Michael Mead, and we're talking about a creative practice that we might do. I'm, I'm reminded when you talk about the lyric of um, wisdom and the song of our soul, I'm reminded of an African saying, Michael, which is saying that there are those who know your song. You are born with the song, and there are those who know your song, and there are those who are willing to sing it back to you when you have forgotten it. Yeah, that's a great old idea that occurs in many cultures. And interestingly enough, it comes from rites of passage. So, for instance, I, I had the good fortune of being present at an initiation ritual for girls becoming women in a Native American tribe. And I can't say much about the tribe because it was a secret ceremony, and I just happened to be invited. And what happens in the ceremony, uh, the girls are in seclusion for days, um, which is typical of certain kind of rite of passage. And they're in, it's, it's as if they've gone back into the womb because they're going to be reborn. But this time, they're going to come out with a conscious connection to spirit. And in that tribal imagination, the way spirit connects to them, it gives them a song. So each one is going to come out singing a song. And they have to crawl out because they've, it's like you've been in a sweat lodge. You've been in seclusion. You come out like a newborn, only they come out singing. And this is all done in, in one of these sacred huts, big thing. And then, and then the initiated people are there listening to the song. And they learn the song as, in this case, the girl comes out singing it, and they have their drums, and they all start singing her song with her. And so they all know her song. And she then joins them. She be, she's now initiated. But she's going through her life, and everybody has their ups and downs, and most people's lives unravel several times. And when everything is falling apart, they come and they sing the song that Spirit gave you back to you. And so, so that's a beautiful idea. And it really enforces the sense that everybody has a song inside. And people naturally do have favorite songs. But the idea is there's a singing in the soul 
that's natural, and we have to tap into it. And some people, the language of their song is painting. They actually have a visual language. And some people, it's poetry. And other people, it's music in its various forms. And then nowadays, or any time, there's a whole other realm of practice which would be contemplative. So the, the song art pathway is the expressive practice road. And then the other road, the other main road, is the introspective practice road, which is meditation, contemplation. And most people go down both roads. Some people cross back and forth all the time. Um, and the idea is to find one's own natural way of practice. Because some people are going to be more settled when they go quietly within, and other people are not going to be settled until they express everything they're feeling and, and so on. And, and a person needs to be free to do those two things. It's wise to have a practice. When everything's falling apart, you have a place to go. And also, when the tension gets great, you have your way to release it or your way, you know, whatever the way is for a person. Like I said, it can be meditative, contemplative, or it can be expressive. And the ancient altars used to have uh, both of them included. The altar would have a side that was expressive and a side that was contemplative, just the way there's night and there's day. And so, I don't know, I think we're here partly as everything is falling apart to re-inherit those things that have always anchored the human soul and connected it back to the depths of its own self, but also to the soul of the world. And we're not going to make it through with just a few ideas. I'm thinking as you talk about that, about we have to have a practice. It's really necessary in our lives. It's that idea, put your own oxygen mask on first. That's the practice, because how can you be of help if you're not doing your deep breathing or whatever it is, or you're singing or you're painting or you're dancing or whatever it is, or being out in nature uh, that that is grounding you. Uh, we're so, Michael, in this culture, we're so results-orientated. We're using our intellect to figure things out and goals and so forth and so on. But you're talking about um, relaxing that part of ourselves a bit and going into an, uh, another part of ourselves that's very intelligent, that's very mindful, that may even take us through the narrows. Uh, it is more creative and more... Uh, well, imaginative as, as you would. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, here's another thing I found in stories from different cultures. And uh, I'm thinking of it because what you said about how typically in the modern world people approach things. There's no strategic plan that's going to get us to a renewed world. Because there wasn't a strategic plan when the world was created in the sense that the recreation, which is trying to happen, things come to an end and they begin again. The recreation includes everything, which means rational and irrational and so on. So one of the things I found in stories that to me is really helpful, we never have to go all the way. 
the idea is not to be goal-oriented. It's to be aimed at the right goal. And so there are stories in which the, the people that are struggling, the seekers, and they're trying to find things or heal things or bring people together, they never go all the way. You go far enough, and the other world comes to meet you. You go far enough, and the divine shows up. And what I'm trying to do is relieve us all of the heroic idea that we have to solve it and we have to carry it and we have to do it. When you're in the midst of the rite of passage, you understand you don't know what's going on. You're being reborn. You're being reawakened. You're being transformed. And if you're busy figuring out how to do it right, you're doing it wrong. And so there's a letting go that has to happen. And uh, right now you find that people on different sides of a political divide don't trust each other. But there's a bigger issue. People don't trust the world. People don't trust that there's something creative going on all the time. Creation wasn't back there and then we walked on, you know, towards the end. Creation is happening all the time. But I want to go back to this idea, the non-heroic idea. When, when we are doing our best at both finding the guidance that's the sage in the heart and finding the lyric that's the song in the heart. When we're doing that and we're willing to sacrifice the daily comforts in order to be in that mode, we are attracting something that is not evident or obvious. We're connecting to the recreation energy of the world is how I think about it. So if you're in a rite of passage, you have to give up being in charge because you can't transform when you're in charge. And so the old idea is the soul more than anything wants us to transform. And there's lots of dodges and ways to avoid that, but it's hard to avoid it now because the world's transforming. And transforming means you have to leave one form behind in order to find a more vital form. And so that's another thing to like right now with the restrictions because of the pandemic, um, no one can do what they want to do. And so rather than be upset about it and think you've lost your freedom, uh, which doesn't change the fact that you can't do it anyway, uh, the idea is to realize we're trying to shed forms. And the thing is, to, I call it uh, um, vitality versus the corpse. Look at the stuff in my life. What's corpse life? Corpse-like and doesn't move versus what's vital and let go of the corpse stuff and stay in touch with the vitality. And um, so I think everyone could find things. I mean, there's sometimes your inner relationships that's become more of a corpse. Uh, this is the time for renegotiation, um, which is another old idea. So I'll just put this out. When you're following the roots down inside, whether you're taking a contemplative route or an expressive art route, whatever it is, you're following the roots down. Um, the old idea is what's down there is the original agreement that the soul made in order to come into the world. So there's only two possible things about souls coming into the world. They come in empty and then people write stuff on them and they become the sum total of what was impressed on them. Or people come in with a core imagination and they're aimed at something. When a person gets in touch with this core imagination, which has aim and purpose and lyric 
and wisdom in terms of guidance, then uh, what happens is you have to renegotiate everything else. If a person is becoming a greater version of themselves, if a person is becoming an expression of their true inner life, you have to renegotiate all kinds of things. Uh, you have to renegotiate your own habits, your daily ways of doing things that could get in the way. And you have to, with the people that you love and know, you have to say, something's changing in me and I'm trying to go this way so they can support it. So then you have people supporting each other's uh, deep self, if you want to call it that. Uh, so that it takes me to another idea. In a time of crisis, we need to have friends of the self, friends of the soul. We're in a world where anything can polarize a situation in a moment. And so we need to have, you don't, it's not the idea to have a bunch of friends on, what is it called? Facebook. Uh, because they don't show up when you're in trouble, especially now they can't come near you anyway. But, but it's important to have those few friends that actually know who you are and have a sense of your soul and, and the core of your life. And they've seen you struggle and they've seen you have pain and loss. And they are the friends of that suffering and the friends of that imagination that's in your core that makes you meaningful and makes you lovable and so on. So when you, I noticed that everybody's reducing their amount of communication. Everybody's telling me that. I now only talk to a few people. Well, from the point of view of the soul, that's okay if they're the people that are the friends of your soul. So that's another idea. We need a practice which gives us grounding in ourselves and connection to our being. And then we need connections to friends of the soul. And, um, and then we have to realize none of us is going to go all the way and none of us is responsible for the whole thing. Yes, yes, I, I hear what you're saying. What I'm noticing, too, is so many of us have been glued to the media, to mainstream media, to let us know how we're doing. You know, you hear what I'm saying now. I want to talk about that in the in the last segment, but I want to tell our listeners that I'm here with Michael Mead, and he's the author of the Water of Life Initiation and the Tempering of the Soul, as well as many other books and and just a wealth of of mythologies, myths that we can tap into. Uh, I'm Justine Willis Toms. You're listening to new dimensions.
I'm here with Michael Mead, and he is a renowned storyteller and author and scholar of mythology. And Michael, you had said something, alluded to something, we don't know what's going on. Although we we think we do because we tap into this media. And I must say, Michael, I mean, in the last weeks or so, I've just had to turn off the media because it has become so hysterical that it's not helpful to me. I realize, wait, this is this is taking me out of myself. It's not taking me deeper into what can be affected in my life as far as what is needed in this new territory that we've entered. What would you say about the the sources that we can tap into? Uh, I think you've alluded to a few of them already. Well, um, so I, I want to. I like staying on the ground of a rite of passage, right? And the idea is so interesting. There was a world wide web before the internet. You know, it was Indra's net. It was the the great tapestry of creation, um, and so. We have this new technological form of things, which is interesting in some ways. But I think where it becomes problematic is when it's replacing uh, the whisper of our own soul. And so there's an old African story about how the soul uh, moves from the world tree in, in the beginning of the story, all the souls are on the world tree, which is in the other world, which is not far from this world, it's nearby. And the soul sees into the world and sees something compelling, an image, and it moves from the world tree into the world, what we call the real world. Um, and as it heads there, the spirit, which is somehow nearby, joins it and says, here's what your life is going to be about. And it informs the soul. So now the soul and the spirit are moving towards the world together, and they have knowledge of what that life is going to be like. But on the way, they encounter another tree that is also beautiful, and the soul can't help but embrace the tree. The soul embraces the tree, and at this point, it's called the tree of forgetfulness. And the soul forgets what it just learned from spirit about why it was coming to life. And then it's born. But the spirit stays with it. So the spirit is what you could call the wisdom in the soul, the spirit inside the soul. And so throughout, that's the guardian spirit also, if you want to think about it. Everyone has a guardian spirit. Uh, and it's guarding partly the fact that everybody's carrying the thing that they're looking for. And so part of life and part of rites of passage and part of obstacles is to wake us up to what we're carrying inside, which is the image that brought us to life. The knowledge that we're looking for is inside. We have to often go out in the world to find it. So this inner voice, inner imagination is trying to speak to us. And I think where the noise of the media gets in the way is when it wipes out or washes out the inner voice that's trying to say, go this way. That voice, people can learn the quality and the nature of it. It comes in dreams. 
It comes in sudden intuitions. And in troubled times, we have to learn to listen to that voice. And and the, the way I understand it, everyone has it. If a, a family doesn't know that the ones being born are coming in with their own imagination, their own aim in life, and their own inner voice, and therefore inner wisdom, it'll get shut down. But it's there anyway. And so the old idea was the obstacles in the world are there to rub off the things that are in the way of the awakening of what we're carrying when we come into the world. And so that's another thing to think about. How do I hear the whisper of the voice in my soul that knows why I came here? And what's important about that? There's been a lot of, in the time I've been alive, a lot of attention to the heroic ways of saving things and create, you know, making things. And it all seems to have made it worse. The idea isn't to heroically fix everything. It's just to wake up to why we're each here. And then we're moving on a path of meaning. Then we're going in a way that contributes to the world automatically. And then we affect the people nearby because they're affected by seeing someone who's not caught up in the media, who's not caught up in the current controversy so much, or at least has an interesting angle on it. And then people start to affect each other and awakening starts to become more of a, a a collective thing than just individual. I don't see how else we get there. I don't think there's going to be an idea that's going to work for everybody. I don't think there's going to be a new vision that everybody has the same vision. Everything needs to be revisioned and reimagined. And so we're just responsible for our part of it. The Irish call it finding the thread in the darkness that you were intended to find. And once you find that thread, I call it a soul thread, And your job is just to follow that thread. And that's the best thing we can give to the world is an expression of the uniqueness of our own soul. And you you said something about uh, going for for meaning. Uh, I think that there's a key there. We're taught um, to go for happiness. But from what I understand, what people are really going for more than happiness is to go for what is meaningful, what has meaning. As you talk about trusting our own inner imagination, I, I'm thinking it, of it in terms of, of removing that cloak of forgetfulness and going for what truly has meaning for us. Yeah, the old idea is myth makes meaning. That was an old phrase. And each person has their own myth, their own story that's trying to unfold. And if we're living the true story of our soul, we're contributing meaning to the world and being to the world. There's another thing. If a person isn't acting from the depth of themselves, they're not actually fully present. And therefore, they can't contribute being to the world. The world itself means less now. That's what's happened. And, you know, even like democracy is in question, how much meaning is there? Uh, You only have a meaningful democracy if you have meaningful people. Another way to look at it is if I don't have a meaningful life, I cannot have a meaningful death. So meaning is the kind of inner 
knowledge of the soul, the inner expression of one's life, uh, becoming conscious and being delivered to the world. And uh, if a person is doing that, like I wrote a book called Why the World Doesn't End, right? And I collected all these recreation stories to show that the world comes near the end, but then the word end doesn't even mean final. The word end means loose end or remnant. And from the remnant, it starts again. That was my, my aim with the, the book. And so far, I'm right. But uh, someone said to me, well, what if you're wrong and the world comes to an end? I said, well, think about it this way. If the world comes to an end, uh, there's no one around to say I was wrong. That's first thing. Uh, and if it doesn't, then I look pretty good. But in the meantime, the more serious thing is whether it comes to an end or not, I want to be walking a road of meaning and unfolding the essence of my life and contributing to the world no matter what happens. I mean, that's that's the the attitude that I think is interesting. We can't, we're not in control of the outer circumstances. We don't know if there'll be a vaccine that's effective. We don't even know if people will take a vaccine. And so all we can do is be in, in some coherent connection to our own soul and, and finding each day a way to live that, even if it's a small step or something. And in doing that, we give more being to the world, more presence to the world, and we give meaning to life. And that affects other people. And I just say because it goes beyond oneself and it goes beyond our generation because when young people see older people living with meaning, they can collect the value of that and be inspired to find their own meaning. And we're here also to give meaning to the course of life and, and to have that meaningful course of life affect younger people who are in tremendous distress now because they see the f world falling apart and people acting in such divided ways and they've never seen anything else before. They think that's the only world there is. And so part of our job is to present meaningful expression of our lives for the benefit of them as well. That's a, such a great point, too, that there are those who are alive today who have not had the benefit of seeing a world different than it is right now. That's that, that kind of movable baseline. Their baseline is very different from those of us who have been around for a while. And uh, so it's beholden upon us to, no matter what, to act with our souls according to our own internal soul's journey uh, and, and develop meaning from that. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. We're we're out of time. I mean, I I thought that you could have time to comment on that, but we'll have to leave it there. I'm I'm just so grateful that you were with us today and that you've given us a lot of food for thought, so to speak, or food for the soul. Thank you. I've been speaking with Michael Mead at his home by remote connection, and he's a renowned storyteller, author, scholar of mythology, and student of ritual in traditional cultures. And he is the author of many books, and if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, mosaicvoices.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3718. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.